through and still have some way to go. But clearly, if mortgage prices go up, uh, that has an impact on inflation expectations. And we've got uh, the U.S. stimulus bill being debated currently in the in the Senate, which could inject another one trillion dollars plus into the economy. The economy is just going to get supercharged from here, isn't it? Well, that's the yes. Uh, the, the flip of it all is that you get an additional stimulus, and, and again, think about the amount of inflation imported by increase of debt uh, that uh, governments around the world have taken. So that's also supercharging that potential. But uh, clearly, the economy could really rip uh, if the vaccines uh, roll out well, and we get a second half uh, surge. Um, remains to be seen. We're still, you know, a few months away from feeling that confidence, I guess. But uh, yeah, there's every chance that. With all of the uh, pent-up demand, all of the stimulus coming through and the liquidity in the market, that yeah, there could be a real chance the market takes off. Um, at least the economy takes off, but also could inflation could go with it. So um, plenty to watch out for. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian markets are slipping further down this morning. The ASX 200 off now 1.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about 1.5%. Over in uh, South Korea, the Cosby also down 1.5%. Uh, futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to lose about one and a quarter percent at the open. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is trading firmer again this morning, $67.29 a barrel. But gold is slipping uh, from the New York closes of $1,689 an ounce now. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend and do please stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chats. Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings coming up next. Uh, the weather forecast for today, cloudy with a few rain and mist patches. Maximum temperature, about 22 degrees. And then the outlook, a few showers tomorrow, slightly cooler mornings early to midweek next week. It's 20 degrees right now, 89% relative humidity. It's 8.32 with the news headlines. Here's Susan Lavender. A resolution on overhauling Hong Kong's electoral system has been placed on the agenda of the National People's Congress. The plenary session begins today and ends on Thursday. The state-run Xinhua News Agency reported that an item entitled Improving the Electoral System of the Hong Kong SAR is listed seventh on China's top lawmaking body's agenda. NPC spokesman Zhang Ye Sui spoke through an interpreter. The developments in recent years show that the electoral system needs to be improved to keep abreast with the times and to provide sound institutional guarantee for the full and accurate implementation of the one country, two systems and the principle of patriots administering Hong Kong. RTHK has learnt that district councillors will be dropped from the election committee that picks the chief executive, with the number of committee members increasing from 1,200 to 1,500. The extra seats will be taken up by members of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference and other bodies. Sources said there are also changes to the Legislative Council polls, with the number of seats boosted from 70 to 90. CE election committee members will also become lawmakers in future, but district council super seats will be axed. Reports this morning said the election, which was postponed from September last year to this year, will be postponed again until next year. 
Police have again used force to try to break up demonstrations in Myanmar as protesters returned to the streets the day after more than three dozen were killed. One demonstrator in Myanmar's Bago region, Wayne, said the campaign for democracy was worth the risk. We're getting bullied every day on the streets, getting killed, but we still have to say what we have to say. We have to demand our rights and we have to keep fighting. I don't even know how to draw the conclusion to this. I might be dead tomorrow. I don't know. And, and yesterday, a 19-year-old girl was murdered. Uh, and we, we have to keep fighting so that her death doesn't just, is a waste. Authorities in New Zealand have issued a tsunami warning after a series of earthquakes in the Pacific. Hundreds of people have been told to move immediately to the nearest high ground. The BBC's Shaima Khalil reports. The warning covers stretches of the east coast of the North Island. The area includes several coastal towns, including Fakatani, close to the volcano which erupted in December 2019, killing 22 people. The third and largest quake, measured at magnitude 8, hit the Kermadec Islands. Two other quakes above magnitude 7 have been reported in the last few hours, including one that was strongly felt by tens of thousands of New Zealanders. Those evacuating to higher ground have been advised by the country's civil defense department to walk or cycle to avoid getting caught in traffic. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Tewitt and your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. Today we're talking about racism towards overseas Chinese and also about World Obesity Day. A survey released by the Australian think tank, the Lowy Institute, found that nearly one in five Chinese Australians have experienced verbal or physical abuse because of their heritage. Most respondents, some 66%, said the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to the racist incidents, while more than half blamed the state of Australia-China relations. And community groups supporting Chinese communities in the UK are being trained to support victims of COVID-related racial attacks after a Chinese lecturer was assaulted there last week. Have you or your family friends experienced such racism? Why do you think it is apparently increasing? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio. Three. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266. After 9.15, we're going to be discussing the dangers of obesity and connections to COVID. It was World Obesity Day yesterday. Uh, we've got a, uh, quite a lot of emails on uh, different topics, um, some related to, um, yeah, the news about uh, electoral change uh, in Hong Kong. Maybe we'll get to those a little bit later, maybe about, about, about nine o'clock. Uh, one more co- one comment on uh, Facebook I'd like to share. This is from uh, TC, who's in Canada. Uh, TC says, while I personally haven't experienced any racism because of Wuhan pneumonia, I benefit from living in a region of Canada with the highest concentration of ethnic Chinese immigrants. The only issue over race was caused by my province's health authority last year in refusing to disclose COVID cases by region due to the risk of stigmatisation. But it turns out the city with the highest concentration of Chinese residents actually has the lowest rate. Thus, the attempt to avoid stigmatisation actually achieved the opposite effect. I believe the coronavirus outbreak, which started in mainland China, is simply the breaking point in the backlash against the government of China, as well as the ugly display of Chinese citizenry worldwide in the last 10 to 20 years. I think the idea that the term Wuhan pneumonia is stigmatising is bogus. 
thus naming a form of brain infection after Japan, ever discouraged Chinese people from travelling to Japan? Or would any Chinese be interested in going to the Ebola River, even if there's no virus named after it? That's uh, thoughts from uh, TCs in uh, Canada. Uh, joining us now, we have uh, Erin Wen Alchu, who's a co-founder and convener of the Asian-Australian Alliance, and uh, Lai Ha Chan. Uh, who's a senior lecturer in social and political science program at the School of Communications at the University of Technology uh, in Sydney. Chip Cho will be joining us later, talking about uh, uh, the situation uh, in the UK. Uh, perhaps Erin uh, Wen, if we could start with you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank uh, you for having me. Uh, t- t- so, um, talking to uh, uh, Asian Australians, uh, what has been the experience like over the last, say, the last year? Uh, uh, yeah, what sort of what sort of uh, incidents have you, has been reported to you? Hmm. So, I, I think one thing that I did want to make a point to say is that the the racism coming out of COVID nineteen is not the cause of anti-Asian racism in Australia. It's merely it's a symptom of the bigger problem. And obviously we've seen that there has been a spike uh, as soon as, I guess, the first case of COVID-19, um, I guess, was identified in China. And the racism pretty much started um, from then onwards. And uh, we saw, um, and what actually really happened was that it was the tabloid Australian media we started to sensationalize um, the headlines, calling it the Wuhan virus, telling Chinese kids to stay at home and not go to school, putting pictures of masks with the Chinese flag um, on the front cover. And once you do these kind of things, um, people who may not be culturally sensitive, who may, may be ignorant of uh, racial dynamics in Australia, you know, would tend to then think, well, it's okay if I go up to any somebody who looks Chinese and start telling them that um, stop bringing the virus to this country or calling them the Chinese virus. And and we've been getting, in a lot of the cases, and a lot of the reports that we got in our COVID-19 racism incident report, which we launched in April last year, were um, the majority were racial slurs, you know, calling them stop eating bats, calling them ching chong, you know, and a lot of it happened in a public street or sidewalk. Um, I guess um, the other thing I did want to say is that we have had, we've seen quite physical um, intimidation and actual physical attacks on Asians where, um, you know, like, you know, Asian Australians are just being spat on in the street while they're just taking a walk. Um, We've seen some who've been punched in the face and um, some of them who have actually reported to us have told us that they've been pushed to the ground and then spat on. So these are the kind of attacks that have been happening over the past year. And the thing is, this type of racism is still going on at the moment. What, what, how about mask wearing? I mean, we had a lot of reports out of uh, places like Britain uh, in the early days that um, uh, Asians, other Chinese living in Britain, they, they felt that like, they would be targeted if they wore a face mask. Has that been a problem in Australia? Yes. A lot of Asians in Australia, particularly those who are international students or who come on working visas or, you know, who've come from Asia as a migrant, a lot of them came from countries where they already wore masks in their own countries just, you know, to get rid of pollution or if they were, you know, had the flu or were just sick, they just, you know, wanted to protect others, you know, from themselves. So a lot of these people were just doing what they normally do, wearing masks. But there have been some cases where 
some um, Asian Australians did report in our survey that they did wear the face mask and they were told by people just, you know, during grocery shopping, they've been told to take their mask off, you know, because they want to see their faces and don't want to hide, you know, any anything unhygienic that they may have. Um, or that, um, you know, the reason why they're wearing masks is um, because they're already dirty, you know, because they, because they eat, because Chinese people eat um, dirty things. So there have been instances um, in that nature as well. But I think the majority of um, Asian Australians... Um, felt okay to kind of wear a mask around. It was it was more a combination of the COVID racism, but also um, the um, whole discussion of the um, growing influence of China in um, you know in Australia and how that's going has also perpetuated the racism. And presumably, people don't when they talk about the growing influence of China, they don't particularly distinguish between Chinese and other Asians, right? I mean, any, anybody who's got a yeah, correct. Yes, anybody who's got a face that might Correct. be mistaken for Chinese is automatically tagged as Chinese. Correct. And I think one of the biggest problems is that um, a lot of people just see, when you say the word Chinese, Australians, or Chinese people, they just look at every Asian person and we just, we just get treated as one homogenous community. There's no thought that a lot of us, you know, where some, a lot of us are, have Chinese backgrounds, but we may not necessarily come from mainland China, which really doesn't matter whether we do or not. But the fact is, a lot of us are just lumped into that. You know, a lot of us come from different parts of the diaspora. Our parents migrated from different parts of Asia to Australia, and others are not Chinese at all. Like, a good example is my brother's wife, who's actually a Filipino-Australian. She got, um, you know, racially discriminated on the train where a woman told her, you know, stop eating that. You know, and you know, when you look at her, if you know, if you understand, you know, different Asian races, she looks nothing like Chinese. So it's clear that it's just impacting on anybody who um, is actually Asian background, um, period. Do you have any sense whether this is getting worse or, or whether it's fading away as the sort of association between Wuhan and the virus uh, sort of becomes subsumed into the, the global situation? Is, is it, do you know if it's, it's getting better or worse or staying the same? It's definitely not getting better, and it's mm. definitely not fading away. I think um, whether the question is of whether it is getting worse, I think that it has always been there. So, and I think when, like I said, when COVID hit, it did get worse in terms of um, the spikes. But a lot of that is also because a lot of people are sick and tired of it, and they were reporting it a not just into our survey but also sharing their experiences on social media. We saw that early on, particularly in early 2020, um, you know, with you know, doctors saying that you know, patients are refusing care from them because they were Asian. So people started to share on social media. And I think in that sense, it looks like there is a lot more cases. And then the, the concern is how many more or how many hundreds and thousands more cases are left unreported or underreported. And that's the other concern that we have always had, that um, a lot of these um, racial racism incidents um, are um, un underreported or unrecorded in Australia. And that's the other kind of concern that we have. You, you mentioned uh, US, uh, sorry, uh, Australian-Chinese uh, relations there. So a lot of people feel that that's kind of, that's a cause of this uh, racism and discrimination and violence as well. I think in Australia it has impacted a lot more than, say, in the U.S. 
or other parts of the world. And first of all, that's also because geographically, Australia is, um, you know, in the Asia-Pacific region. So we're generally closer to, say, the Asian countries. And um, there's all, obviously there's been a lot of, deal, um, you know, business dealings or investment dealings between Australia and China. And I think um, where the racism has come from that is, you know, and we make this point, is that there's actually nothing wrong with criticising the Chinese Communist Party on, issue, on a host of issues such as human rights, um, you know, foreign interference, you know, censorship, you know, and all that stuff. That is fine because every, every single global power and every government is accountable for things that they do. However, um, there, there are angles and there are different ways of posing that discussion. And we have to discuss this alongside the racism that comes out from it. And where the, there's a difference between talking about the growing influence of China and the growing influence of the U.S. Because in Australia, the, the majority are white Caucasians. So when you look at an American, you, a lot of people just don't feel as, um, you know, intimidated as if they see a group of people coming from China or a group of government officials waving the Chinese flag. So the, the racism automatically will come from that. So the discussion needs to be twofold. Um, you can criticise the government directly, you know, but you also need to talk about the backlash and what will happen to people in Australia who are Asian or who are of Chinese background. You know, Chinese international students, you know, have reported, um, you know, immense, um, you know, incidents of racism happening to them. You know, and a lot of this has been happening for a couple of years, even before COVID, and that's because the Australian media, but also the Australian government, you know, has treated this as a homogenous thing, you know, that it is all China's fault, not necessarily just saying it is the Chinese Communist Party, but it is all on China. So when people think of this in their head, they see a Chinese person walking down the street or an Asian person, they'll automatically feel, well, the Australian government and the media has has pretty much said it's okay for me um, to go and blame them for things. So if I tell them to go back to China, that's okay. And in that sense, that racism has been normalised. Okay, we're also joined by uh, Lai Ha Chan, uh, who's a senior lecturer in the Social and Political Science Program at the School of Communications at the University of Technology in Sydney. Um, good morning, or rather, um, I think it's good, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Back Chat. Uh, still good morning. Yeah. <laughs> still good morning. Yeah. Uh, thank yeah. you for joining us. Uh, now you just heard um, you just heard Erin Wen uh, talking about um, racism in, in Australia. What, what, what's, what's your own experience? Um, that's many many years ago. It's not current. Actually, my personal experience. And by the way, um, thanks for having me here first. And I feel much closer to Hong Kong and my hometown right now. Um, so my experience, because I came to Australia for my study many years ago, long time ago, and one time I think um, my personal experience is that I have um, having a holiday in at Gold Coast, and that is at like evening time, and the sky is a little bit dark, but not completely dark. And I was walking on the street, and suddenly the car uh, driving um, right next to me, and I got a water bomb attack, <laughs> and then the car just drove away immediately and so I couldn't really see you know uh, uh, why they do that and is it targeting or I heard something you know go back to your home country something like uh, something similar that I can't really recall the exact uh, sentence they call 
But um, that's my personal experience. So I'm not quite sure whether that, that linked with the racism uh, in Australia or not, or just an accident. You know, those are teenagers or being naughty and randomly just pick some people to um, target it. Uh, yeah, so but I, I basically agree with Alan, it's about this, like, the racism happening, and it's not a short-term, it's not the current thing, it's a long-term thing. And, uh, yeah. At the same time, um, Australia remains a very attractive destination, doesn't it, for people from um, uh, mainland China and Hong Kong. We've seen particular a surge of interest, even though it's difficult to move there during COVID-19. Obviously, a lot, given the current situation in Hong Kong, a lot of interest right now. So, And people know these stories. They're not necessarily deterred from moving to Australia. Yes, um, for Horace's uh, area, of course, uh, Australia is uh, one of the good de- uh, destinations for them. Yeah, so, uh, but currently you see the border is closed, so yeah. maybe it's, it's talking about the Australia-China, um, the border, the relations, and that have the impact on the people's movement as well. The border is closed. Uh, we, we've still, from Hong Kong, we've had a, a couple of uh, famous cases who've uh, been given special treatment to move to Australia. And, and there's clearly still interest in moving to Australia. My, my point is that um, even if these kind of stories are, are widely known, it, it doesn't uh, seem to diminish interest in moving to Australia. For the Hong Kong people, definitely it is a good option for a long-term migration to Australia because we all know that um, uh, a couple years ago last year, uh, particularly when um, the, the Beijing crackdown on Hong Kong's democratic movement and uh, lots of Hong Kong people, the so residents, want to uh, see the opportunity whether they can migrate to other countries. And Australia is one of the the democratic country or the liberal democracies are indicating welcome Hong Kong people uh, migrate to their country. And, uh, yeah, so that is the Prime Minister Morrison already indicated that um, last year. Uh, you know, we see, we see a lot of stories uh, here in Hong Kong about the conflicts between uh, China and, uh, and, and Australia in the economic sphere and the political sphere. Uh, when it comes to education, all, all kinds of things. What, what, what's the latest? How would you characterise relations, Sino-Australian relations at the moment, uh, Ms Chan? Um, yeah, I think the, the current trade um, dispute, or the current trade conflict uh, between Australia and China, and I actually think, in my perspective, is a byproduct of the political conflict rather than trade is, a, you know, the... You know, the, the, the the, the original factor that impact on these uh, two countries' relations. So if we're looking at this as bipolar, why they have this guy of the bipolar, if we're looking at like a little bit longer, not just like last year or this year, probably looking at a few years ago, seems like from a broader picture, if I can, um, you know, um, uh, have a look at, the, you know, what triggered the tension between the Australian-China coalition. So... Since a few years ago, or particularly after Xi Jinping, you, we can see uh, China's expansionist or assertive uh, uh, foreign policy. Uh, on the one hand, you see the South China Sea, China built up a lot of like, island building and naval expansion um, in, the, in the South China Sea, and um, also um, uh, refused to uh, accept the international tribunal's uh, uh, judgment about the territorial conflict with Philippines. So all these sides, the, the indication, and, and also including what we mentioned about the, the Hong Kong political movement, how the Beijing cracked down on the, on the political movement, all this cut the instant 
only the democratic countries, if we can draw back to the international politics, like the international countries' perception that China is challenging the rule-based international order. So, and intending to dominate the Asia-Pacific politically and military. And so, Australia is one of the democratic countries and also part of the alliance of the, the U.S., and, and so the impact for Australia, you can see China's assertiveness in the past few years also impacting on Australia's national security. And on the one hand, you see China also the assertiveness you know, going down to the South Pacific. And you see the Vanuatu, uh, there's a potentially um, building up the, the military base over there. And also the meager infrastructure development in the region. And so, uh, so perceived if we can uh, look at the geographical location, Australia is uh, basically is Australian backyard. And Australia uh, dominates the region for a long time. And China's like the um, uh, relationship with the South Pacific country in the past few years, um, that's impacting on Australian national security or national interest. And that is from the regional political perspective to look at the issue. But in terms of like Australians domestic, like the national interest here, uh, in the past few years, we can also see China's um, uh, the business investment and the political interference, as uh, um, it's when earlier talking about the foreign interference uh, by the Chinese diaspora uh, within uh, the Australian uh, the, uh, Canberra in, in, in the country. And that's why we see, you, you can um, refer back to probably a few years ago, two, two three years ago, one of the politicians uh, had to step down because of this uh, allegation about um, um, the corruption, um, the donation from the Chinese businessman uh, in China, and then he has to change his position uh, or not following his political party's position on the South China Sea issue. Looking, and look this at kind of the. Yeah, sorry. Looking yes. for looking forward, I mean, uh, uh, Xi Jinping's going to be in power for a long time to come. I think the general impression is that uh, uh, China's current policies towards Hong Kong are, are not going to change. If anything, they may become even tougher. So um, all, all these tensions you talk about, then they're probably going to um, become even worse in the future. And what, what's your analysis looking forward and particularly the impact for um, Asians living in Australia if, if, tensions, if they're already impacted by current tensions, if tensions get even worse? Yeah, the tension will get worse, and I actually think there's no, uh, there's no winner, uh, neither Australia or China. So temporary, you see, um, uh, China basically lose a lot of power in the world. If you're talking about like international relations, and and um, lots of countries, particularly after the last year, the COVID uh, case. And you see, look at all um, the, the pool um, around the world, not just in Australia, but also in the world, how many percentage of the people they think um, uh, China is in a positive view or negative view. The percentage in a negative view is uh, rising up rapidly. And so China is uh, losing its soft power. And in terms of the, the political um, position for China is not in a good position either, because you can see the democracy, the democratic country, excuse me, they are aligning together and potentially forming an anti-China coalition as well. Um, so you see, one of the things is the cultural security dialogue, for example, so Australia is one of the four countries, like US and Japan and India, the uh, so-called court. And so despite the cultural security dialogue, they will strengthen their 
um, their dialogue, and because uh, the main target is to against this uh, um, uh, authoritarian regime or trying to protect the rule-based order. And then another C, you can see also the Five Eyes Alliance or talking about this like the China tax uh, or China free tax uh, supply chain. So we have to terminate the supply chain for China and establish our, you know, uh, under the democratic uh, alliance, how we can um, connect together to build up our economy rather than relying on China's supply. Erin uh, so Wen, no yeah, Erin uh, Wen. Given given those things, what are the prospects for for you know reversing this this trend of uh, racist attacks and harassment uh, in in Australia? Uh, it doesn't look very hopeful. What what can you do? Yeah, I think, you know, I think um, the um, professor kind of um, adequately um, spoke about in terms of the international implications. And the thing is, you know, we, we all know that it's not going to get any better. And really, if we want to talk about what are some potential solutions to this, it is really looking at, okay, in Australia, does our leadership represent the demographics? And we can easily say it doesn't. And the only way that things can change in terms of racism is that we need to start changing the leadership at the top of those who are making the decisions. Those who are, if you can change that and make that more culturally diverse, then you're able to set policies, um, you know, which are more are favorable in terms of, um, you know, appeasing, I guess, the demographics and the growing and the changing demographics in Australia. Mm. So where we, can, we cannot necessarily, um, you know, influence the things that are happening at a foreign relations perspective. We can definitely change things on a domestic perspective in terms of changing those who are making the decisions, um, you know, having more yeah. culturally diverse people, you know, in the media talking okay. about these issues. Sorry, we've got a break now for, for, for our news at 9 o'clock and wrap up this section. Erin Wen, thank you very much indeed for joining us, co-founder, convener of the Asian Australian Alliance, and uh, Lai Ha Chan, senior lecturer at uh, the School of Communication at the University of Technology uh, in Sydney. We're going to be talking about the situation in the UK with Chip Cho. Uh, later, drop us a line. The weather, uh, cloudy with a few rain and mispatches. 20 degrees now, humidities at 89%. To agree on a joint statement on the crisis in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region after Russia, China and India considered it an internal matter. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights had earlier said there were distressing reports of continued violations that may amount to war crimes in Tigray. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverton. We've talk, been talking about uh, racism uh, towards overseas uh, Chinese. We were talking about uh, Australia uh, uh, in the first part of the uh, programme with also uh, uh, TC chipping in from uh, Canada. We're going to be talking about the UK um, shortly. Uh, and uh, also we're going to be talking about uh, obesity and the connection between obesity and uh, COVID. It was World Obesity Day yesterday. We'll be talking uh, in more about that towards the end of the programme this morning. Uh, we want to hear from you, as ever. Call us on 233-88266, email backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. OK, some emails, interesting emails, but on a variety of topics. All right, Horatio, first of all, on Facebook, says, on today's subject, I have this observation. Everybody knows what is the biggest news in Hong Kong in the past few days, the trial. However, looking through the programme lineup since March the 1st, which coincides with the new boss's arrival, there is no programme 
programme on that subject. Maybe the host will be allowed to read this comment, maybe not. Or maybe there is no one left to come on the programme to discuss, or it's just limited RTHK Radio 3. Just putting it out there. Uh, thanks, Horatio. I think that the, the point about the, uh, the trial, uh, the bail hearing, I assume you mean, uh, is just that they're very, very strict... Uh, restrictions on uh, what can be said and what can be reported on that uh, on that trial. We can't even the the media are not even allowed to say what has been said in court. You'd have to go along in court to find out what uh, what has actually been said. Um, it's hard to have a discussion uh, on that and uh, tread very tread very very carefully around all the uh, the subjudice rules. Hugh, in addition yeah. to the legal points, he is right that it is very hard to find guests now when so many of them have been arrested and charged. I mean, um, a lot of these people were people who have been on back chat before. Obviously, for legal reasons, we're no longer able to have them as guests. But it, it does limit the pool of available it's guests. It's a fact that topics. most of the Democratic camp are under arrest. Yes. Uh, in Hong Kong. So uh, on that issue, Horatio, you have, na- you have nailed it. We, we can't discuss a topic if we don't have guests. Yeah. Uh, Danny, I know you were, you were keen to also talk about the, uh, the electoral reform. You were, you were thinking it's a difficult call, isn't it? Because the electoral reform details only came out overnight, yeah. didn't they? Um, and they're still coming in. It's a very important topic. I think you, you intend to do Monday's programme. Yeah, we right? will do Monday's programme about the, about the electoral reform, uh, see if we, who we can find uh, to, to, to talk and, and <laughs> comment about it. people are still uh, able to talk who are who not, not, in, not in detention and yeah. able to talk about it. Uh, so we wanted to, uh, yeah, and also we wanted to wait till we knew a little bit more of detail so it wasn't too speculative because that would kind of be a waste of time. Um, but if we can wait for this weekend and then get a clearer picture of exactly the details and the election committee and so on and... Yes, because it does look like huge changes. It's very difficult to digest them all at the moment. Mm. Um, and in fact, I suspect Monday's programme won't be, the, I'm pretty sure it won't be the last time you'll be discussing this issue. Mm. Or maybe it will. <laughs> um, some a comment though uh, on on the electoral uh, reform. Um, for Mary, first of all, Mary says in an email, uh, Dear Backchat, the delegates from the other provinces attending the two sessions in Beijing must be gobsmacked when the Hong Kong representatives engage in bad-mouthing its people and putting forward only proposals targeted at vilifying and stifling the community. This when the other delegates are talking up their districts, boasting about their accomplishments and pushing for positive measures to improve the quality of life and prospects. How can a community with such malign representation move forward. That's from Mary. Matthew says, in order to legitimise its one-party authoritarian dictatorship, the CCP insists on aggressively promulgating the notion that it won China for itself in the revolution, and therefore that the country and people are now eternally inseparable from it. By doing so, it deliberately and ruthlessly attempts to protect its monopoly on power by insulating itself in a one billion plus blanket of hypernationalism. As long as it continues to be permitted to permit to perpetuate this myth by both mainland people and the world, it is sadly inevitable that Chinese people will be mistakenly forced to suffer for the sins of the regime, including the more than 2.5 million COVID deaths worldwide. It is important that people both inside and outside China not fall into the CCP's trap of treating the country and the people as synonymous with the party and blame Chinese people for the mistakes of the CCP. By the way, why is it considered perfectly okay to refer to the UK virus strain but totally unacceptable to use the term Wuhan 
Wuhan virus. Just wondering. That is uh, from uh, Matthew. Uh, Tom says, uh, it's sad how in the middle of a surge in racist attacks on Asians in Western countries, I see TC today in the back chat comments actively promoting labelling COVID-19 as Wuhan pneumonia. And Matt on Twitter uh, simultaneously promoting the use of the word Wu flu. Why are they doing this when there is an official widespread name for the disease? What is the psychological reason for focusing hatred towards a specific country? And uh, Mike says, violence is stupid and should never be tolerated. Those that start a violent confrontation should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Be careful what you report as racism, though. Dr. Seuss's children's books in today's liberal just social justice society have been banned and deemed to be racist by our overseers and propagated as such by the voice of those social justice warriors, the mainstream media and stations that read for them. Just saying one of the most uh, ethically racist governments just north of us hasn't helped. Their actions or lack of transparency in those actions may to some degree flame those embers of heated human emotions of hatred that really have no grounds for the backlash that we see sometimes globally. Skin being the largest organ of the human species is the easiest to see, obviously. If we continue as a species to determine who we are by the texture, shape or hue of that organ, we have little hope. At one meant, some say, atonement. By such we have it. Accept it and join us. That's from Mike we're now joined by uh, Chip Cho, uh, columnist and social uh, commentator. Good morning, Chip. Welcome back to Backchat. Hello, good morning. Uh, now, I think uh, we can. Uh, you often described as an Anglophile. Um, you wouldn't necessarily dispute that label, but uh, this week you had a uh, column in Apple Daily. Um, tell me whether you think this is an accurate summary. Uh, so you said uh, you talked about how the UK has bad weather, lacks uh, Michelin restaurants outside London, and uh, bad water leads to hair loss and. Uh, you weren't exactly putting a positive impression of uh, UK there, and I'm, I, I don't know whether you actually mentioned it, but you would, uh, you would well, presumably put the, uh, this, this terrible attack on a Chinese university lecturer in Southampton. You'd presumably, if you want to throw in things about how terrible it is to live in the UK, you'd put that in there as well? Well, I mean, from what you've uh, been describing, it shows that I have been uh, wrongly labelled or branded as a so-called Anglophile. You're trying to reinvent I yourself. Used to work for Ending courses there to learn how to be balanced as a broadcaster, and I always do, yes. Uh, well, I, I, I have foreseen all this backlash, considering what's happening in the world, considering the root cause of this global pandemic. Of course, it would be natural for overseas Chinese to bear the uh, brunt of all this um, grudge, all these grudges felt widely by local people in Western world, I'm afraid. Let's... To put this in the context of a war, right, a word I'm reluctant to mention, uh, don't you think during the bliss in 1940 when the Germans were bombing London and Coventry, if there were a few German, uh, Germans uh, living around, do you think they would be treated nicely? I mean, I hope it's not too much of an exaggeration, but I'm afraid that we have entered into a period of war without a gunshot, with a gunshot, with a gunshot yet to be fired, to be honest. Right? So it would be, I mean, I could repeat, of course, many, many times what have been said by audience 
racism is bad, it's all Donald Trump's fault, right? Uh, the word, uh, the term Wuhan uh, flu should never have been uttered and should have been preached. But this is a backlash, I'm afraid. OK, let's talk specifically about the, the BNO scheme. We are going to see very, or we are already beginning to see, we are going to see very significant numbers of Hong Kong people moving to Britain over the next yeah. few years. And I know talking to people who are thinking of moving, they're already worried that, as has happened in many other countries around the world, when you have such significant number yeah. of people coming in, there will be a backlash. Um, what, are your view, what are your views on that and of how course. much danger? I mean, don't... <laughs> Don't take for granted all these uh, nice, nice, uh, nicely worded editorials uh, uh, from uh, from the Guardian, whatever. I mean, look at reality. No, if you if too many Hong Kong people go there to buy properties, you know, in London and Manchester, sending the prices up. From the point of view of Darwinism, local people would not like it. The fact that they are not allowed to be too outspoken because of their fear of political correctness would not change the situation. I have been calling for, informally, uh, the British government to build or to, um, to set up another port somewhere in the Caribbean. Well, call it New Hong Kong or whatever, you know, take up a, a port in the Bahamas, a peninsula somewhere there in the Caribbean to let Hong Kong people to move there to live as a community. Up, up there is nearer uh, the, the, uh, the continent of Florida and then you've got Mexico on the other side and Cuba and other country on the other side. The climate would be uh, more favorable, right? So, I mean, I, I am I'm a little bit worried that there have been calls for Hong Kong people to set up their so-called Hong Kong city or building up or setting up another Chinatown or whatever. And then I could expect what's going to be like that in 10 years' time, I'm afraid, right? So you don't, you don't put your idealism in the first place. Hong Kong people have been indoctrinated by mainstream media from the West that uh, foreigners are very much welcome, and uh, multiculturalism is a, is a great uh, is, is a great way of life, and all your neighbours would embrace you and love you even if you don't speak a word of English, and even if you go loud in the in a hotel lobby, and in a local restaurant as a group, right? Or you jump queue occasionally. Okay, I'm not generalising, one or two, right? And then, given this global pandemic, whose name should not, whose factual and proper name should not be uttered, and who should be called British mutated virus instead, right, to make the white man feel guilty, given the given the political climate like that, it would not be very much. Um, I wouldn't say useful to call for Hong Kong people to move to Britain en masse and treat that as a paradise, would it? Right? And get yourself prepared. And you know what Hong Kong people are like. They like food, they like um, you know, nice, um, nice um, uh, uh, whining and dining and they complain about bad weather, whatever. All these cliches or stereotypes about Britain, about little Britain, as a columnist or as a broadcaster, I think there's a bit of social responsibility on my part 
to tell them, to let people know about the real picture. And I haven't mentioned racism too much. <laughs> but although in the why past, why I, have you not, not mentioned racism too much? You, you think that's... Uh, Less of an issue, or why? Why? No, that's not less of an issue. There are Chinese people who've been doing in the West very well, and you've seen uh, uh, Ma Yo 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 Ma, you know, film director Ang Lee, and then I think there's another uh, mainland born young woman uh, film director called Chloe Zhang, whose uh, first movie was the debut. Uh, um, who was a debutant in the, in the cinema career, winning a few global, uh, a, a few, uh, a few awards from here and there, right? But for this generation of young Hong Kong people, they haven't seen much of the, of of the world apart from uh, uh, traveling to Taiwan and Japan and and then two around nice restaurants they're recommended by their tourism textbooks. If you, I you, say it's a very serious. It's a very. It's going to be a big decision to leave Hong Kong and then to live in the in any Western country for good now. Do you think, in the end, most people in Hong Kong, I mean, even the potential kind of people with the money and what have you, who who could leave, in the end, they're going to reckon that Hong Kong, for all its faults, is still better than places like the UK, like Australia and Canada. You have to generalize things a little bit to make a, a, a comparison, right? I mean, there are goods and bads in every city in the world. I mean, London, Paris, well, in Paris, yes, it's romantic, looks romantic on the, on the screen of a cinema, you know, thing, uh, stuff like uh, Casablanca, whatever. But once you get settled there for good, it's uh, going to be different. You know, David Tang, the biggest and the most notorious anglophile in Hong Kong, has chosen to live in Hong Kong most of his life. Although with his cigar, he was so happy to be a socialite, shuttling between uh, uh, Top Circle in Hong Kong uh, uh, and London. Right? So it's better to sit on the fence, be a person of two cultures, uh, and make the most out of globalization, which enables traveling so easy uh, than um, having too much romantic illusion and then buy up a few properties in, in uh, South Kensington, well, forget about South Kensington, right, in uh, Manchester or Edinburgh or whatever, and then send up the property prices there. And then in the long run, get a bit of a gawking from neighbors or in the local community. Right? Okay. Well, unless unless you, you speak English like David Tang. <laughs> you love reading. And have a right? language. Even to the extent of being a little bit pretentious. Right? You, you could play yourself. You could play with a bit of an image like David Tang. Right? A, a very clever man, you know, I, I, have to, I have to say. Right? And you, you might need a bit of capital behind you. Chip, Chip how about you? Are you, you, are you? are you definitely committed to staying in Hong Kong? Can you envisage the circumstances well, you move? a bit of a privacy at the moment. <laughs> You're not going to answer, right? I'm still very happy talking to you, you know, getting a few hostile reaction from audience or whatever, you know, continue to be branded an anglophile with a bit of a hate and being shouted at, hey, why are you still staying in this piece of Chinese territory? Why don't you get, go home or whatever? So far, so good. Depending on the outcome 
or the treatment of the en masse um, uh, Democrats in the court. Sounds to me well, like you're not ruling out a move there. Uh, well, I mean, nobody could rule out anything. Really. Okay, we, we just had one question for you from uh, Hugh, uh, who not, says, not you. Chip, what did he have for breakfast today? <laughs> I'm not sure what he's getting oh, I'm at. Telling you, I, well, for, 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 for years, I'm just having cereal and cornflakes. Well, there you go. And a thin piece of toast for breakfast. Okay. For health reasons for diet. Right? Okay. Well, diet leads us on to our, to our next guest. And uh, Chip Cho, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, economist and uh, social commentator. Uh, always good value, yes. Uh, <laughs> always good value. Um, one comment just uh, I'd like to share. This is from uh, uh, Mark. This is uh, in relation to our, our discussion yesterday about electric vehicles. Uh, RB says, uh, um, morning BC, uh, in a in addition to all the great points this morning, another positive to come from Hong Kong cars going electric will be the demise of the global oil stroke petroleum conglomerates ripping off Hong Kong customers, plus government duty. Farcically for many years, Hong Kong has, the has had the most expensive petrol in the world. Comparatively, Hong Kong has easy access for oil tankers and distribution network to petrol stations. Thank you very much indeed for those observations. So we wanted to turn finally today to the issue of uh, diet and uh, obesity. Yesterday was uh, World Obesity Day. And uh, actually that uh, coincided with a very interesting uh, report um, suggesting that uh, the uh, majority of global uh, COVID-19 deaths have been in countries where many people are obese. Uh, with coronavirus fatality, right, uh, fatality rates 10 times higher in nations where at least 50% of the adults are overweight. That's uh, found by a, a, a global study. Um, uh, Dr. Norman Chan joins us now. He's a specialist in endocrinology, diabetes and metabolism. Uh, Dr. Chan, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi. Thanks so much indeed for, for joining us. So that was an interesting uh, observation, wasn't it? Um, how solid is that, this, this link between uh, obesity and, and, and COVID deaths? Yes, indeed. Uh, I think the, um, the common observations in my clinic is that many of my chronic uh, disease sufferers uh, with diabetes, high cholesterol and hypertension, fatty liver, these patients all came back um, on regular follow-up and they are putting weight on. Steadily. Obviously, there's, there's a lack of uh, gym attendance because of closure, uh, the quarantine issue, uh, and uh, working from home. And the, if you watch the TV programs when you stay at home, there are a lot of uh, uh, programs on cooking uh, and, and encourage people to stay at home. And with good food and sometimes open a bottle of wine, uh, and naturally people put weight on with the lack of exercise. So people put on weight, and then at the same time, we're told that COVID, uh, it, it, it's, 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 as he was just saying, much more serious if, 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 you, if you put on weight. So it's almost yes, a, vicious, a vicious circle, isn't it? It, it is. Um, if you look at the major risk factors for COVID, uh, bad outcome, uh, high mortality, there are four things. The first thing is age. Uh, the older you get, the higher the risk for mortality, which is understandable. Uh, and number two is obesity, and then is diabetes, and the degree of fatty liver. So these are the four important risk factors for poor COVID outcome. You didn't mention high blood pressure. Blood pressure does not that may well be, but the study didn't, hasn't actually come out yet mm. that I'm aware of.
of course, the uh, the fitness and the sport industry they um, they complain vigorously about the government keeping facilities closed, and they say, well, that it's counterproductive for because uh, people will be le- less healthy. Then, um, I mean, of course, they have their own vested interests for saying that. But do, do you think there's some logic in what they say there? Uh, there is some logic, but I think the government has to do what's right for the community as a whole. Um, and therefore, I can understand that action. But closing the gym is not something, if you really want to go to exercise, there are other things that you could do, like walking in the park. Um, and common things are like hiking. There are a lot of people are doing at the moment. That can also uh, help to lose weight. But even now, That's- exercise areas in public parks are still cordoned off by LCSD. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, and, and hikes, you might be able to do once or perhaps twice a week or something, but it's, it's not the same as kind of a daily regime, is it? It is true. Mm. That's correct, yeah. Uh, and what about eating? Do you find, I mean, I've I got to say, I think I'm more prone to comfort eating mm. <laughs> lately because... Mm. Uh, things so depressing. That things are depressing, so yes. you want to eat something that's, I don't know, whatever, is a yeah, comfort food. Yes, indeed. A lot of people uh, lie on the couch, watch TV and eat comfort food. Uh, a lot of people get depressed because of uh, loss of job opportunities, uh, a reduction in their income. Mm. And that can translate into uh, comfort food eating, uh, leading to weight gain. OK, this is all very depressing. I mean, how, did, how if at all, do we break out of this? Uh, I think self-discipline is very important. And I think stepping on a scale every day is something that... You, somebody can do quite easily every day and just the the simple action of that will make them make them more aware of their eating habits uh, throughout the day and also find time to do some home exercise uh, something that you need a lot of self-discipline uh, to to maintain on a daily basis uh, you, you know hong kong has traditionally been one of those places with with a low uh, low incidence of, of, of obesity is, is that still true is, is that changing what's Actually, what's happening that has changed over the last 10 years mm-hmm. uh, the, the the obese population really is increasing uh, and we have some government official data to show it uh, and along with it uh, there is an increase in uh, diabetes and also fatty liver uh, we can see that in our daily practice, actually. What's the cause of fatty liver? What, what, what leads to that? I think there's uh, some genetic elements in it because we, we find fatty liver uh, even in people with normal body mass index. So you don't have to be very fat to develop fatty liver. And on the contrary, I've seen some Caucasians, not Chinese, um, they have pretty severe BMI and yet their fatty liver is only very mild or some of them don't even have fatty liver. So I think genetic is, is, is one thing. And secondly, is the weight gain. Obesity itself can lead to fatty liver. Uh, not mentioning alcohol, which is the most common cause in the short term. Uh, that can lead to an increase in fat content very fast uh, in the liver. Uh, and also junk food and lack of exercise. And when all these factors put together, uh, you, you will have fatty liver. You talk about an increase of obesity in Hong Kong, but surely still by international standards, if you sort of make comparisons with Britain or America, we're, we're not nearly up at the same level as those kind of countries. Totally. You're absolutely right, uh, because our ethnic uh, origin gives us a very, very small uh, body size uh, built. But uh, when we increase the weight by a little bit, then it increases the risk of diabetes and all other chronic disease dramatically. 
and therefore the definition of normal BMI is quite different for, for Asians compared to Caucasians for that reason. Um, and a lot of uh, Asians, we actually have a lot of central obesity. So when you look at them and measure their weight, they're not very heavy, but there is a lot of central obesity. Uh, in other words, the fat accumulates in the liver and in their uh, abdominal area, and that is the cause of chronic disease such as diabetes. Okay, so if, so so fat or, or or weight sort of concentrated on your torso or something like that. That's yeah, in sign. the wrong place, in the liver, uh, in the omentum, where, which is the area uh, in between the guts. All right, and, and oh, so how how do we spot that? <laughs> how do we spot that? Now that you you could do it simply by measuring your waist circumference. Okay. For men, it should be below ninety centimeter, and for women, eighty centimeter. And if you go above that, then you need to be concerned about your health, and you need to be really to be doing some regular checkups. Mm. Okay, well, if there wasn't already enough grim news around, <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty grim note to end on, unfortunately. Well, Dr. Chan, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Dr. Norman Chan there is a specialist in endocrinology, diabetes, and uh, metabolism. Thanks very much in, indeed for that. Uh, one more comment. Uh, from uh, Hugh, who says, uh, how about more of an in-depth examination of the overt racism that is so entrenched in Hong Kong? Unfortunately, it looks like we'll be getting worse with our political future hijacked, yes. Uh, and uh, TC on Facebook says, uh, rear rebuttal of Tom, brackets who blocked me, my use of the term Wuhan pneumonia isn't a racist behaviour because I'm ethnic Chinese. That's from uh, TC. Um, thanks very much indeed for uh, all the uh, discussion on those uh, variety of uh, topics this morning. Danny, thank you very much indeed. Uh, here's the latest uh, weather information uh, before we leave. It's going to be cloudy today with a few rain patches and a uh, few rain and mist patches. Maximum temperature up to about 22 degrees. The outlook coastal fog and a few showers tomorrow. Slightly cooler mornings in the middle of uh, next week, 20 degrees now, and the relative humidity is at 89%. The government provides public COVID-19 testing services through different channels. Those without symptoms but feel they have a higher risk of exposure can visit designated public clinics or other distribution points to obtain free test kits. Those having compulsory tests can visit community testing centres for free testing. The centres also provide self-paid services to those needing test reports for personal use. If feeling ill, see a doctor promptly and don't go elsewhere. And 31, the news now with Susan Lavender. The annual session of the National People's Congress is underway in Beijing, with Premier Li Keqiang saying in his opening speech that the central government will improve systems and mechanisms for implementing the constitution in its special administrative regions. Hong Kong's electoral system is on the agenda for the six-day meeting in Beijing. Executive Councillor and Senior Counsel Ronnie Tong says the prosecution in the case of 47 pro-democracy figures for subversion has the right to seek a review of any bail decision. He was speaking about the immediate challenge the Department of Justice made to a decision by a na national security magistrate last night to grant bail to 15 of the defendants. New Zealand authorities have downgraded a tsunami warning as the largest waves from this morning's earthquakes have now passed. Thousands of people on the east coast of the country's North Island were evacuated to higher ground after three offshore earthquakes triggered tsunami sirens and warnings.
The news from RTHK. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by also shy, quiet and retiring doggy council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults. It's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Yeehaw, cowboys, and good morning. Welcome to today's Morning Brew. You may have started hearing that bird over the past few days, you know, the really noisy one who whistles at you at this time of year. Well, he's actually called the Asian coal, or coal, or whatever. That's the one. If you can spot him, though, you'll see this guy has blood-red eyes. Very striking, but his call de- denotes your clothes growing furry and your food going floppy and off in the kitchen. So today after 10, Chef Neil Tomes will be back to tell you how to combat the flop and the slime and he'll likely be halfway through baking some sourdough as well. So I'll share you some tips on that. After 11 today, it's Sports and All with Danny Hicks. Join him for football, cricket and F1. And after 12, we're off to the movies with James Marsh, as usual, for reviews of Palm Springs, Run, Way Down and more. We'll be on Facebook Live, of course. Go! 